All right, how are we doing? Good deal. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here today. As was mentioned, it's uh, Jesse Taylor's birthday today, actually today, and so uh, he's really leaning into that uh, elder title, turning 30 today. <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, and he still looks like he's 20, um, and you know, we all don't like him because of that. No. Uh, we should probably sing to Jesse, I think. That would be fitting. He would really love it. He, he asked me if I would invite you all to do that. So, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jesse. Happy birthday to you. All right. <clears throat> Man, the Spirit's moving today. It's beautiful. I could have got scandalous pretty quickly if he didn't repent right there. So uh, we're glad that happened. 30 years old. Happy birthday, Bishop. We're, we're happy for you. Um, well, we had a great week of, of uh, VBS. And uh, as Jordan mentioned, definitely, uh, if you're a volunteer, you volunteered in any way with VBS and you're in the room, would you please stand up so we can just say thank you to you, um, all of you around the room? Yes. And I know that there are many more volunteers uh, who are once again volunteering next door. That tends to be the way it goes. Uh, and so uh, who are serving over there. And so be sure to thank all the folks who, who just serve so faithfully with, with Redeemer Kids and, and all those who served uh, so faithfully with VBS all week. It was a great week. It's a joy to get to, to be here and witness what was going on. Uh, we should especially, though, uh, give some special thanks when you see, I don't know if Jessica or, or Danny Raymond are in the room, but Jessica, our deacon of a children's ministry, and Danny Raymond really kind of spearheaded, kind of planning everything, and they, they did a great job just organizing and planning uh, a wonderful VBS, so, so thank you, thank you. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, do not forget, this is our last Sunday, 10 a.m., so next Sunday uh, is August 1st, it's the start of August, that's when we're going back to two gatherings at 9 and 11 a.m., uh, if you show up at 10, it'll be a little awkward for you because uh, we'll be about to wrap up or maybe about halfway through uh, the, the 9 a.m. gathering. just depends on the week. Uh, so 9 a.m., 11 a.m. next week. Excited to kind of move back to that. And, uh, and uh, you can uh, find out more information. We'll have some more things posted on Realm. I think the, the information about Redeemer Kids and the offerings that will be available in those gatherings is, is, is already out there for parents. So... Um, we also have about 150 uh, ESV scripture journals for Ephesians as we're working through our way through the book of Ephesians uh, that are our gift to you. Uh, we, have, we were able to get 150 of them. There are probably more uh, than, than that of people around Redeemer. So uh, first come, first serve. Uh, we'd just love to bless you with that. I do encourage you, though, because there are only 150 and maybe more people than there are books, you know, make sure you're going to use it. Uh, so, uh, but it has the full text of Ephesians, gives you lots of space to write in it, especially if you're somebody who doesn't like writing in your actual Bible, it's a, it's a great uh, resource to kind of use and for your personal study as well as when we are, are working our way through here together. So you can grab those on your way out at the connection table today. Um, well, as we dig into Ephesians uh, today, let me, let me ask you this question. What do you pray about? 
Right? What do you pray about? What do, what do you pray for? What does your prayer life look like? Uh, does it look a little bit more like uh, Ricky Bobby in uh, Talladega Nights? No, it's like a 15, 16-year-old movie now, so some of you are like, I've never heard of that. Uh, but uh, I, well, yeah, I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It may not be for everyone. Uh, but, but, you know, Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights, uh, you know, they sit down for dinner, a delicious, bountiful harvest of uh, KFC and Taco Bell and Domino's. I don't remember what all it was, but, uh, and he's, he's got to do that grace good, uh, right? Just so, so, so God will bless him so they can keep winning, they can keep making more money. It's a comedy. Uh, it's, it's a joke, but, but uh, kind of ironically mirrors a lot of the way a lot of us pray, right? Pray the Jesus that you want to. Uh, pray that he'll just bless you with what you want from him, uh, that he'll just answer your requests uh, whenever you have them and, and give you what you want. Um, in other words, I'm kind of asking, are your prayers more like a grocery list, you know, or maybe a, a Christmas list, right? A, a things you want God to do for you, wishes you want him to grant you, asking him to, ble- asking him to bless you with things you perceive that you lack, or do your prayers more resemble Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, right? A prayer that is focused on giving thanks to God for the blessings you already have in Christ. A prayer focused on on praying for your fellow believers to know the wonder of the blessings that they already have in Christ. That's what Paul prays for in our our text today, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. I invite you to Turn there in your Bibles if you're not already there and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 1, 15-23. Hear the Word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we give thanks. Give thanks for the many blessings that we have in you. Blessings that we cannot even fully comprehend. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father, help us to be people who who are shaped by thankfulness, gratefulness for your goodness to us. People who have hearts that turn toward others and not just towards ourselves. May our prayers be more and more centered on praying for our brothers and sisters. To know the love of Christ. To know the blessings that we have in Him. Help us, Lord, 
to be your people for your glory, for our joy, and the joy of many others. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. Before we uh, get too far, let's, let's talk a little bit more about prayer. Like, what, what is prayer? What, what is it for? And put simply, prayer is, right, talking with God. It's, it's communicating with God. God speaks to us most clearly and most authoritatively through His Word, right? That's how He speaks to us, most, most clearly, most authoritatively. He can speak to us in, in our prayers, absolutely, right? He can speak to us through other people uh, in the words that He gives them. But, but most clearly, most authoritatively, He speaks to us through His Word, Right? We, we hear from him in his word. And we speak, we respond to God in prayer. Now, there's a, there's a real sense, uh, given that Jesus actually invites us and instructs us, that we can ask anything in his name. Right? We, we come to him with anything, like a child. Uh, we can come just asking him for anything. And he, he welcomes us to do that, to, wel- to ask for anything in the name of Christ. There's a wonderful book uh, that I read several years ago by Paul Miller called uh, A Praying Life. Some of you probably read that book as well. And, and in that book, it, it beautifully kind of encourages that sort of heart of prayer, that God desires relationship with his children. He desires relationship with us. He wants us to, to talk with him. He wants us to come to him with absolutely anything. So if, if you want to pray for a parking spot close to the restaurant you're going to downtown, do it, right? Pray for that parking spot. God invites you to, to talk with him, to engage with him in that way. Or, you know, you want to pray for your child who, who's having a hard time to calm down and go to bed at night? Pray for them. Pray for them. Go to, go to God with that. God welcomes you to ask for all of those things in Jesus' name. He may say yes. He may say no. He may say not yet. But he invites us to come and to ask of absolutely anything. But the, but the heart that, that is in this, uh, the, but the heart in this is that God wants relationship and communication with his kids. Right? He wants relationship and communication with his kids. Just like Pretty much any parent in this room would tell you, you know, just as long as it's not after bedtime. Uh, but, but he wants relationship. He wants communication with his kids. So don't hear me saying at all that we cannot come to God in prayer with, with anything or that God doesn't want us to come to him with anything. He absolutely does. But sometimes, friends, our, our prayers like read like a grocery list, right, or a Christmas wish list. Do this, do this, I want this, I want this. And, and that's all that our prayers are. Or, and if that is the case, right, that our prayers are just like that, right? You know, um, it's sort of like the, sometimes we get in relationships and, and people, only, they only show up because they want something from you. And then as soon as they get that thing from you, they don't want to have anything to do with you. Like relationships like that are, are not really vibrant. They're not really full of, of real connection. And if our prayers... Are, are like that, then we're missing something very significant. After all, what kind of relationship can you really have with someone if every interaction is, is just them reading off a list of wants and wishes? Where's the listening? Where's the, the engagement? Where's the, the questions? Where's the interaction? Where's the celebrating together? Where's the grieving together? Without those things, it's a bit lifeless. And there's not much experience of relating and connecting and growing together. Uh, the kind of prayer we see modeled here by Paul 
is just so essential to a vibrant and spiritually healthy relationship with God. And to neglect it would, would lead to uh, spiritual sickness. John Bunyan, the, the famous author of The Pilgrim's Progress, dis- described healthy prayer this way. He says, it's a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. That's a, that's a perfect description of what we see Paul doing as he offers up this prayer right here. He begins in 15, verse 15 saying, for this reason, right? That's a, that's a connection point right back to everything that's just come before it in verses 3 through 14. It's a reference to that. In other words, he's, he's basing his prayer on and in response to every spiritual blessing we have in Christ that God has revealed to us in his word. He's reflecting back to God what God has told us that we have in Christ. And Paul then goes on to mention how he's heard of these other believers, right? He's heard of their faith and their love toward all the saints. And don't rush, rush past this either, because these markers, growing faith and growing love, right, they should be demonstrated in every growing Christian's life. A Christian should be identifiable for possessing a growing faith in Jesus, a deepening faith in Jesus, and a growing love for all believers in Christ. As John Stott says, it is impossible to be in Christ and not find oneself drawn both to him in trust and to his people in love, all of them, all of them. These fellow believers are who Paul prays for. And he he sets up a a great example for us of how to pray. He prays unceasingly, he says, generously, gratefully for other people, appreciating God's work in their life, giving thanks for that, and in their church, and and not just in his own. And he's praying this, this worshipful, selfless prayer from where? Prison. He's in chains, and he's offering up this prayer of thanks, this other-centered prayer. He's not praying, God, release me from prison. He's praying, God, bless these folks to know you more. In that frame of reference, understanding the things that, you know, and growing in the understanding of the things he's, he's praying for, for these other believers, is what is enabling Paul to not just see his situation, but to see beyond it the opportunity that God has to work in and through him, even in prison, for the glory of God, for the joy of other people. Jesus wants us to pray like this for others, not just to pray for ourselves, but to pray for other believers as well, to learn to care more about our brothers and sisters than we do ourselves. That's how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9-13, Jesus instructs us. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you hear that? We, We know that prayer. We say that prayer a lot as Christians sometimes. And, and, but do we really think about that? Do you hear the plural language throughout that prayer? Our Father, us, our. It's a communal prayer. 
It's a, it's a prayer for others as much as it is, if not more so, than it is a prayer for ourselves. What the Lord's Prayer, what Paul's Prayer are showing us is that the prayer is not really about getting God to bend to our will and accomplish our plans, but, but really it's about you and me joyfully submitting ourselves to His. When we grasp that, when we find that our prayers are more informed by His Word, His Word, His plans actually become our prayers. And when that happens, friends, we find that our prayers get answered all the time, a lot. So that's what prayer is for. That's what it's really about. So what is it then that Paul prays for? What does he pray for these faithful believers in Christ? The answer is found there in in verses 17 and 18, right? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. He prays that they may know God more. That they may know God better. That's the heart of his prayer. And in the Bible... The heart, right? The eyes of your heart. What, what does that mean? Like, my heart doesn't have eyes. Uh, you know, but in the Bible, like, the, the heart is, is more than simply the organ that is pumping blood throughout your body. Uh, but in the Bible, the heart represents the whole inward self, the center of our physical and spiritual being, combining our intellectual understanding and our personal affection. So, so Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we be enabled to see things, with our whole inward self, our intellect, our emotions, everything about us, that we be able to see things as God sees them. To love what God loves. To see the world as God sees it, which is another way of saying that we be enabled to see the world as it truly is. But that we also be able in that to see God as he truly is. To know him more, to know him better, to think deeply and to respond joyfully as we consider all that he has given us in Christ. Paul prays for them that you may know God better. Charles Spurgeon beautifully proclaimed about this incredible blessing of thinking on God and coming to know him more and the blessings that flow from that. He, He said in a sermon one time, nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a treatment for every sore. Would you lose sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you come forth as from a bed of rest, refreshed and reinvigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of God. How true that is. How true that is. But but why is it then, if that's so true, that that far too many of us settle for just this surfacey, superficial knowledge of God? That we don't really take time to, to plunge ourselves into the Godhead's deepest sea and think upon Him. 
and listen to Him. To hear Him speak to us for ourselves from His Word. Why do we not do that? Well, whatever we pray for one another, friends, we most certainly should make it a habit to pray like Paul for one another. To pray unceasingly that we collectively for one another, that we may know God better. And toward this ultimate end of knowing God, Paul specifically prays for increasing knowledge of of three aspects of of who God is and his goodness to us. The hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. First, he prays that you may know the hope of his calling. He prays in verse 18 that you may know what what is the hope to which he has called you. And this invites us, right, to, to kind of think on our origin story, right? You love a good uh, superhero origin story. Well, every one of us as followers of Christ, we have an origin story. And, and those stories are different, but they all have the same beginning. God, right? The sovereign, good, and gracious God who called us. They all start there. Uh, uh, he's the good God who called us and, and is focusing us on, on both the God who called us, but also on the hope to which he has called us. Both aspects are in view here. Uh, we spent some time last week considering the wonder that God would choose and rescue any of us. Like, the question isn't asked, why would God not choose everyone? But why would he ever choose anyone? Why would he ever choose any of us? Rebellious sinners who, who, who spit in his face, who, who, who with our lives, Kill him. Reject him. The wonder that salvation is, is even possible for any of us is, is truly a wonder. It's a wonder that, you know, to think on the fact that salvation is all God's doing from start to finish. He chose us. He predestined us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what we saw last week. He justified and adopted us as we sang about earlier today, through the finished work of Christ, His life, death, and resurrection. He enables us to believe, seals us, and continues to sanctify us through the working of the Holy Spirit within us. What a good and gracious God. He is the one who called us. Romans 8.30 tells us, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. As we said last week, yes, we, we are called on, uh, we, we called on God for salvation, right? We made a real conscious choice, a real personal choice to trust in Christ, to receive the gift of grace. But our call was only in response to his call. He called us first. What amazing grace that he would make that possible. What a gracious, good, loving God that he would call us. But our hope But our love and knowledge of God will only grow as we also think upon the hope to which he has called us to. And here's a sampling of what the Bible tells us. We're called to belong to Christ and into fellowship with Christ, into relationship with Christ. We're called to be saints. We are called to freedom, right? Freedom from the law as our only means to be right with God through our our needing to be perfectly obedient to God at every last dot of the law. We're free from that. We're free from enslavement to sin, freedom from death. He's called us into the peace of Christ, to belong to the body of Christ. We were called to follow the example of Christ. He called us into his kingdom and into the eternal glory of Christ. 
He's called us to live and rule and reign with Christ in his eternal kingdom. That he is bringing in its fullness when Jesus returns. And in this life, he's called us to live in light of this hope. To live as ambassadors of that glorious kingdom. To live holy lives that display that we've been set free from sin and death. To live lives of peace and joy that embody the presence of Christ in our lives. To suffer with and for Christ. Knowing that his glory awaits. And it's a joy to share in the sufferings of Christ with him. And some we're called to an altogether new life in which we know, love, serve, and obey Jesus. We enjoy deep fellowship with him and with one another. And look beyond the present suffering of this life to the glory we will know and enjoy for all eternity when Christ returns. That's the hope to which he has called you. The challenge is, of course, to remember that in the midst of our day-to-day lives where we all face, uh, you know, a hundred thousand different things that just come poking at us and distracting us. Good things and hard things. Suffering, sickness, death, grief, sin. All these things that just cloud the view, right? My friend Robert Chong uh, would, would, talk about, would, talk, would talk about how the, you know, God, God has this big story, right? From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it's one big story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It follows that arc. And, and that story is there. That story is, is written. He has won. The victory is secure in Christ. It's, it's done. And, and we just are kind of living in the midst of that, that, that arc, but the thing is, is that all these things that happen in our lives, all the sin, all the, all the struggle, all the, the pain, the suffering, the loss that we face, it just kind of clouds our view of that story. And we lose our reference point. We only can see what's right in front of our face. And we forget that, that God has already won everything in Christ. And that we have a hope to which we have been called that is unshakable and certain. But we can't see it. We lose sight of it. And so the challenge is for us to be able to press through the clouds and remember and see again that full story that God has written, that we are a part of, that we've been grafted into. Knowing the hope, thinking on the hope to which he has called you is what will enable you to press through the clouds of your struggles and your your suffering to find joy and hope and peace. Even now, in the midst of all those things, as you await the glory to come. What a prayer to pray, that we would know the hope of his calling. It sounds very closely connected to the second aspect that Paul prays for, that you may know the riches of his inheritance. And it certainly is connected, but Paul is praying, listen to the the, the words, right? He's praying that we would know the riches of his inheritance. That is Christ's inheritance, not, not just our inheritance, but, but Christ's inheritance. We know the riches of his inheritance. This is referring to the extravagantly abundant inheritance that God has prepared Jesus, prepared for Jesus to enjoy for all eternity. And guess what it is? It's us, right? We are his glorious inheritance. Think about the wonder of that. God could have made anything to be his 
inheritance, anything he wanted. And he chose to enjoy forever with redeemed sinners like you and me. What a gift. What amazing grace. How incredible is that? God redeems us. He adopts us. He makes us his kids. And his plan is to take us all with him on the most amazing, glorious, eternal vacation to enjoy unending time with us, pouring out grace upon grace upon grace on us for all eternity. You thought about that? This is even more unbelievable when you consider that we were all once enemies of Christ. In our sin and our rebellion, we were enemies of Him. And yet God invites us. He makes us His glorious inheritance. I'm a parent, right? I have three kids, three teenagers. Um, and it's, it's, it's a joy and it's a struggle at times. But in general, right, one of the joys of, of being a parent is through the years, you get to welcome other kids into your home. The friends of your kids, you get to welcome them in, you get to show them hospitality, you get to feed them, you get to give, give them, you know, uh, sugary beverages that their, 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 their parents will be mad at you for, uh, but that's okay because you're going to send them back home, so it's fine, um, right? They, they, you get to just love on a bunch of other kids, the friends of your kids. But the thought of welcoming someone who hates your kid, who picks on your kid, who hurts them, right? That's not something I get super excited about. Yet that's exactly what God has done with us. And not just for a one-night sleepover, but for eternity. He's welcomed and celebrated people like us who, who not only were mean to his son, but who literally crucified him and celebrated his death with our rebellion against him in sin. It's unthinkable that we are who he would make his glorious inheritance. And don't miss, once again, the communal aspect of this. Right? We're, not, we're not brought on this vacation to some private island where it's just us and Jesus. But we will all be there together, people of every nation, tribe, and tongue before the throne of Christ in glory. This is wonderful good news. No matter how hard life is for you right now, this is the hope that awaits us. This is what Jesus is preparing for us right now. But it can be hard for us to imagine how, how are we going to get there? We face loss and death. How, how are we going to get there? Right? Our bodies die, our spirits go to be with God, but, but how are they going to be reunited with our resurrected bodies? How is God going to do that? How are we going to get to there? And again, we, we must press through the clouds and cling to Jesus as our reference point, not the reality we think we see before our faces. And we must remember the third thing that Paul prays for here. He prays for us, that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. In a very real sense, this is a prayer to grasp how secure your eternal future is in Christ. God possesses the immeasurable, incomparable power to make it so. 
Right? Just open your eyes. Right? His power is constantly on display before us in the, the sun, moon, and stars that we can look at in the glorious sun, sunrises and sunsets that we see here uh, in southern Indiana. Right? As, as you look upon the, the mountains, you go to the mountains or you go to the ocean and you look upon the, 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 the roaring ocean there, or you just look upon the rolling hills of southern Indiana. Right? God's, God's beauty is on display. It's beautiful here. It's, it, it's beautiful. His glory and his power are on display constantly in, as we look at the creation that he just spoke into being, just with his word, spoke it into being. Paul's prayer, right? You know, we, we think about that, but how are we to have confidence, again, in the midst of the death and decay of our, of our lives that we see? How are we to have confidence that this is all going to come together? We're going to be resurrected with Christ. Paul's prayer points us to three assurances that God in Christ by the Holy Spirit possesses immeasurable power to bring about everything he has promised. The first assurance is found in remembering the truth that God has already raised Jesus. He's already shown that he has the power to do what he promises us because he's already done it in Christ. Romans 8.11 tells us that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells within the heart of every Christian. Dwells within you, brother, sister. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is at work within us. And will give life to our mortal bodies. Christ's resurrection serves as a, as a guarantee of our resurrection. He, he's done it before so we could rest assured that he will do it again. After all, not only was Jesus raised, but he was ascended Right? He, he, he's seated now at God's right hand where he intercedes and he's ruling and he's reigning and he's praying for us. We can have confidence because Christ has been raised, that he has been placed above everything, that he will do it again, that we too will be raised and be with him. A second assurance comes in knowing that, that Jesus now sits far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Verse 21 Jesus is enthroned above all. And this is specifically really a reference to, to Satan, to satanic powers, demons. Right? The city of Ephesus uh, was a, a place of a lot of just really dark idolatry. Right? Worshiping you know, idols that, that probably are really demons. A lot of spiritual warfare taking place in the this, in this, in this city, this town. In the Ephesian culture, there's so many people just fearful of the demonic, right, of, of the satanic kind of things that are at work in this world. But Jesus is enthroned above all powers, all authority, all dominion. He's enthroned above all, above, over every name that is named, over every position, every president, every authority we can think of. He is enthroned over. He rules over. That means that there, there's absolutely nothing that has the power to separate you from your Savior. Nothing. No sin. No power. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Even the suffering. Even the persecution that you might face. He will only allow for your sanctification. For your growth in holiness. And for the purification of His church. The third assurance explains His great care and His great love for the church. After all, the church is His body. 
Jesus is the head of the church. He, he reigns supreme. He rules over. He provides for. He, he empowers the church. He uses his church in the world for his glory. Jesus, who rules over all, makes the fullness of his divine power especially present in his church and its local expression. And little bodies of believers, right? We, we might not think of ourselves as, as anything that significant. Right? There are a lot, well, there's a lot bigger churches. Even in our own town, there's a lot bigger churches. There, there are a lot bigger churches all over different places of the world. But, but Jesus makes his power especially present where his people are gathered, no matter what their number is, in order to bless us, in order to fill us with every good thing that we need. So that he might display in us his victory over Satan and sin and death. There's a reality, right? That, that, that Christ, that we are in Christ through faith in the gospel, that we can enjoy the fullness of him who fills all in all together as his body. God is intensely present in our midst. He is here blessing us with salvation, with holiness. He, he blesses us with, with different gifts to use together for the building up of his church and for the expansion of his kingdom. Why? Because God has set his heart on having a people for himself. God has set his heart before the very beginning on having a people for himself. And we can be assured of the immeasurable greatness of his power that he will raise us to life with Christ when Christ returns because Jesus himself was raised to life and we are his body. He is our head. It makes no sense for a head to be separated from its body. We will be raised with him. We need to know and pray for one another to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. That no matter what life brings us, we can rest confident that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. And one day, we will be raised with him who rules over all. One day we'll be reunited with him in glory. No more sickness, no more death, no more sin. Just joy forever. That's the hope that awaits us. Right? That's the hope that we must cling to. What we should pray for one another to cling to. Our prayers shouldn't just be focused on praying just for earthly peace and prosperity and health and happiness. Again, we can go to God with anything and we should pray for those things. But they shouldn't just be focused on those things. But we should be praying for one another that we would know God better. That we would know the hope of his calling. That we would know the riches of his inheritance. And we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Why? Why should we pray that? Why do we need to know that? Because knowing God more, knowing this, empowers us to trust him. To live in faith and hope and to endure together for his glory. Friends, there are trials there are hardships that we all face, right? All the parents in the room said, amen, right? We need to know God better, that we might endure, that we might press on and live for his glory in every way. In the midst of a world that would seek to bring so many things to cloud our perspective day by day, may you have the eyes of your heart enlightened 
to see the things as they truly are, to remember the hope of his calling, the, the riches of his inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power, so that you and I, we might endure together for his glory and for the joy of many other people who need to know this hope, who need to know God. Let's pray.